0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, we have Angie Solanke. Angie is the National Director of Retail Services for Collier's. Angie has been in the retail industry for 30 years now. She's very passionate about retail. We are excited to have her. Welcome to the show, Angie.
1: Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. Tell us
0: a little bit about who you are and what you do. What are you doing at Collier's these days?
1: Yeah, sure. No, happy to share. So, you know, I've been in the business as you mentioned thirty years. Just really passionate about retail. I've been with Colliers for the past ten, and really my core focus is how do we help our clients as it relates to all things retail. So, whether you're looking at from looking at retail from capital markets or repositioning, um, whether it's you know on the on the agency side, um, you know, assisting retailers with you know site selection, etc. We have over. 550 retail professionals throughout the U.S. uh, And I have the great pleasure to work with, um, you know, I'd say close to 95% of them on a regular basis. And so I've learned a lot. I've shared a lot. um, And it's just been a great working experience being here at Volleyers.
0: That's exciting stuff. You get to talk to almost 550 people about what's going on in different markets, What you know, as you come come out of this pandemic, what are what are what are like some of the keys for you that you're looking to that you're focused on with your team right now?
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, we actually, when the shelter-in-place, I'm here in San Francisco. That's home base. Um, previously to COVID, it was you know C13A on uh, Alaska Airlines, but <laughs> uh, 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 you know that's changed quite drastically. But nonetheless, um, you know what we, when shelter-in-place came about for us here in San Francisco, uh, which was you know early March, um, we were kind of you know at the beginning. Or at the forefront of it, uh, we—I started thinking about—you know—this isn't. This is not a time to um, sit back, uh, listen, and read. But how do we? How do we become a part of it? How do we really keep the conversation live um, and share good factual information, even if it's not factual? At least good information where people can have a conversation, discuss, so we can identify potential solutions, right? This is completely unknown. It's unforeseen. It's not happened, um, you know, at least in my lifetime. So a pandemic is something not to shy away from. So um, under that premise, my my thought was, hey, we need to be bold here. Let's start reaching out similar to as you are with these podcasts, these wonderful podcasts, um, you know, talking to a variety of folks that have a different perspective and let I did the same where I said we need to go out and look at uh, retail from a global view, look at it from various uh, aspects, whether it's the overall retail landscape uh, right when COVID was occurring to um, you know what? What will the impacts be to the supply chain, and uh, from there the impact to restaurants, the solutions, and the creative solutions that restaurateurs and QSRs are identifying, i.e., Chipotle Lane, um, and and created a webinar series that I think really took hold, especially for our retail professionals because they were able to invite their clients uh, and then continue that conversation after. So for me, that was quite powerful. We we had, I think, close to a thousand people per call, and um, and we hit 14 countries, which tells me that, you know, timing was really ripe, um, and that people were really seeking some form of comfort. Um, I think since then, of course, there's been a little bit of Zoom or webinar burnout, but nonetheless, I think Steve, people are still, you know, very curious. They want to know who's going to lead the solution and what, um, you know, the risks and rewards are and how is it panning out for most, but people just really want to feel connected, feel um, that they're together and, and, and they're part of that conversation.
0: That That's great. I love the, the be bold um, and, and not just sit back and read what everyone else is doing, but be a part of it. I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of, you know, a lot of people that were preaching before this that, this is a time to sit back and kind of take it all in but i i love the approach of diving in uh and you know trying to be a part and of the solution uh i think that's awesome uh insights for everyone out there on anytime there's a crisis uh i think that's a uh a really good lesson so we are in some interesting times now i think uh there was, you know, a lot of negativity in the in the world uh, the last few months, but it's it's starting to get to positive in some places, uh, which is good to hear. We we all need a little positivity. Um, so, what is the Angie take on what's going on in the world these days?
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. You know, um, we've seen such change in retail pre-COVID where retailers were really trying to evaluate all this information this great data that they've been consuming and gathering over the years um, through customer surveys and POS, A- POS data and how to you know create the omni uh, omni channel experience etc and And so COVID occurred, and I think what really happened as we start to unfold and see where we're going um, over the last few months is this acceleration. And this acceleration to me is, it's exciting at the same time. There's definitely going to be some areas where, um, you know, some of these uh, local retailers may not be able to survive um, just due to just pure sustainability of either their, their product or operational issues, et cetera. But there is silver linings, and I think it's that acceleration piece, meaning that we are going to see, uh, uh, you know, brands that we're very familiar with, for example, Starbucks, uh, coming up with a new, you know, mobile-to-go concept, to attract that ease and also that ROI, because you can definitely see an increase there. I also think we're going to see a rise in more curbside pickup um, delivery and on demand. I'm not saying that brick and mortar is going away. I just think that it's going to become more optimized and and more efficient, just purely based on what, what customers are asking for.
0: That is very insightful, I agree. So you gave us a, a bit about the general state of how you're seeing the world. One, one thing I'm always curious about is when I, when I talk to people who are so um, connected in the industry and they have access to so much data, what question are you dying to have answered right now? What, what, what's like burning for you? Like that you're, you're seeking answers to what, what what question is that?
1: You know, I actually, um, this was a question that came up in one of my conversations uh, with an asset manager, retail asset manager. And I, it was actually her question, but it really made me pause and go, wow, that's actually very interesting. And that is when we look at retail, you know, we, we've always had that simple formula, right? That, Footfall or foot traffic, um, you know, equates to how you look at merchandising and creating a merchandising mix. And from there, the goal is to increase foot traffic so that increases sales, which it, uh, you know um, hopefully will start to increase. You know, rent or percentage rent, and so everyone's happy. It's a win-win scenario for landlords and for for retailers. But if we're going into, you know you know, through 2020 um, with, you know, various percentages of customers or consumers saying to one another, hmm, I'm looking for a, the least amount of contact. I don't want to be in a store for very long. I, I want curbside where I drive up and, you, and, and, you know, I, I hit I'm here button and they drop it into my trunk like um, I just experienced over the weekend at Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, which was a little, it was a little uh, too many, too many uh, buttons to press to get to the end. But nonetheless, you're you're seeing more of that. Um, How does that impact how we calculate sales per square foot? And so when she mentioned, I was like, you know, that is a fascinating question because I just, it's too early to know. Um, you know, Chris. I'm sure you've seen this, where you know mobile data, geo fencing, um, you know, was such a you know the, the latest technology tool. And how are we advancing that and understanding where consumers are coming from? Well, how is that going to apply now? If we're saying to customers, hurry up, go to your store or pick up and or we'll deliver uh, or mobile order and just pick up and go we're almost asking them to come to the project or the shopping center and then to leave very quickly so this dwell time this you know cross synergy and 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 cross shopping is will it will it come back how do we start to evaluate that when we look at our merchandising that's going on
0: yeah there there's it's a really interesting point uh, dwell time because there's this yin and yang with it because you have this, the landlords have been over time, trying to create longer dwell time, right? Experiential retailing and, you know, creating more options for people to diversity, for people to spend at diversifying the offering yet retailers are trying to make it more convenient and potentially decrease dwell time. So, What do, you know, where does that balance come? I I think a lot of that will have to do with the product type and the type of uh, retail environment. Right. I, I, you know, if it's a convenience store or a grocery store, you know, I think that's different than a lifestyle center and Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's very pedestrian friendly and you're trying to create this walking environment. But if it's the soccer mom that has two kids in the car and just needs to pick something up and forgot to order something and need something in a pinch, you probably need to make it as convenient as possible for that consumer. So I think it's an interesting yin and yang right there where how do we, you know, balance dwell time versus convenience. And, you know, I don't think there's any answers yet. Just like you said, and I think, uh, hopefully they'll start to intermix because you also have the, you know, the ICSE put out a publication about the halo effect and if you, the consumer, how much um, more people spend if they buy something online and then and then go pick it up in the store that there's you know additional purchases made. So if you make it so convenient that they don't enter the store, then maybe you miss that opportunity. Or maybe that person, and, and I'd love to, do you think there will be a, uh, there's a consumer that buys it online, picks it up at the store, and says, ah, eh, while I'm here, I'm going to go look at something else?
1: Uh, oh, definitely. That, yeah, right? no, definitely. Yeah, I. Um, it was interesting. I think it was Target. Um, they shared that they actually saw, you know, they were considered essential, of course, from a grocery perspective, but they also have general merchandise. And so what they noticed is that they actually saw, uh, a completely new customer coming to target because they were, it was either close um, in their local market, um, but it also offered general merchandise. So that person that said, I'm going to pick up, you know, milk and eggs, etc." Oh, wow. I can also buy a bike. I know I'm going to be stuck indoors, but I, I want to be outdoors and, and I, the climate, you know, allows for it. So they saw an uptick in, you know, outdoor equipment, bicycles. And then what they saw is that same customer came back and then bought a bike lock. And then that customer came back and bought bike gloves um, and a helmet. And so, what they're seeing is that they were able to say, "Hmm, this is really interesting. Now, how do we retain that customer so post COVID we don't lose them?" And now they're looking at, you know, retailers. I think are looking at what does that loyalty program look like? Um, so I think to your point, it's it's this full cycle, it's a full journey. So we're just seeing it in different patterns and maybe with uh, with with different retailers that um, are seeing a a new customer coming into, uh, you know, their, their stores locally there. So that's, that's an example.
0: Totally. I, I actually had an amazing target experience on Sunday on father's day. Mm -hmm. I, I got new workout shoes. It's been a long time since I had new workout shoes. I got new workout shoes for father's day, the Nike Metcons and, my kids were down for a nap and it was Father's Day. And I was like, ah, let me try these out. I was like, you know what? Before I work out, I need some fresh socks. So I was like, ah, I'll pop by Target. And then I said to myself, ah, let, me, let me try the buy online, pick up in store. Yeah. And I go on the app and the options were unbelievable. I could get it delivered to my home same day. Yeah. I could go pick it up in the store. I could go pick it up. I could do the drive up where they bring it to my car Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or I could actually just go in the store and shop. And I decided "Ah, I'm going to go out. I haven't been out much, been hunkered down. Let me go out. And I I went and got the socks, but I was just the app and how Target has um, maneuvered through this has been really incredible. So
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the retailers that really embraced technology and pivoted quickly because of COVID are those that are going to continue to see great success. Um, I, I, you know, it was interesting when you talk about all the different options and opportunities. I actually went into the, into Nike on Sun, I think, no. Sunday, no, Friday, sorry, Um, a day after they opened in San Francisco in Union Square, and oh, let me just go inside, and it was pretty busy, but what was really fascinating was that there was this line that snaked around on the second floor, which is their kind of customer service area, and I'm looking at everybody going... Is there a special that I'm missing out on? Like, yeah, right. What's going on? I want that discount. And (laughs) what did I? And so instead, what I'm looking, I'm like, wow, this is interesting. People had two or three boxes of shoes where they were actually returning them, and so they must have purchased online and then were coming into the store to return. And I mean the you know, whether they made a second purchase or or not, I'm not sure, but it was still very active. It was busy. And, and I think to your point, providing customers with a lot of flexibility is really the key. And that's, that was always the case, right? Pre COVID. But I think as you, as we talked about earlier, it's accelerated, everything is accelerated.
0: Yeah, definitely. Everything is accelerated. I've been reading a lot of headline news lately and Headline news keeps calling for massive closures. I've heard three hundred thousand restaurants. Is it overblown or is it real? And there's going to be uh, this unprecedented fallout.
1: Um, I think it is over overblown. We actually had a call last week with one of our um, partners, and uh, you know they've historically monitor the restaurant space for the U.S. and what they were sharing, which was actually very interesting is about, they say um, if I'm trying to remember the stats now, I think it was net net uh, there's about three and a half percent over the last three years of restaurants that have um, closed permanently. And and with COVID they anticipate that to be closer to, I think it was 18%. So yes, there's different definitely um, a higher percentage, but at the same time, there's a new wave of small regional, um, you know, restaurants and QSRs that are reopening. And I think what we'll see is we'll still see a net closure of maybe about five to 6,000 restaurants, um, but we'll see some gains because of ghost kitchens. Um, You're seeing, you know, I would say it 's not a trend it 's the popularity of a ghost kitchen to quickly pop up in locations where there's strong demand for delivery and having um, these uh, you know newer concepts who may not have the operational efficiencies or um, capital to partner with these ghost kitchens and also allow these these startups if you want to call it the ability to um model their business in a way that makes sense for them so they could maybe start slow and you know slowly ramp up um because of covid and or or just go bold and be out there and go quite quickly one of our our restaurant groups that um we were chatting with that actually what they did is they have um you know, about a 3,000 square foot uh, QSR concept, but around the corner, they had a kind of a hybrid ghost kitchen. They said they were so busy, so, so busy, because people who were staying at home got tired of everything that they were making and they were buying from whatever, whatever grocery store, they were kind of burnt out. And so ordering just started to pick up and it continues to pick up. So um, I think You know, my only—the only thing that makes me really sad is that you know when you start to see some of these, um, you know, small food operators in your local neighborhoods that cannot survive or sustain, and maybe did not receive any PPP um, or any governmental aid uh, for whatever reason, and, and has to shutter. That's that to me is really disappointing because you learn so much from these very diverse. Um, you know, people and and their food, right? And I've I've learned, I mean, I I love to travel um, and and I've been fortunate enough to travel my entire life, um, you know, and so when I come back here, I seek out those unique restaurants, like, where am I going to go and find, you know, the best Georgian food? Because I just had this amazing Georgian meal, um, you know, in St. Petersburg or what have you. And and that's my fear is we're going to lose that that um, that specialty that that you know the fabric of of these people who came to the u s to um, start their business
0: well, I hope that doesn't happen uh, but time will tell I don't want to make it all about restaurants, but I am going to hit on one point that i I, I think there is some um, I wouldn't say controversy, but debate over you're a fan of ghost kitchens. You think it's real. You think they're here to stay.
1: Oh yes. Um, I would say I I do. I do because my hope is that the, you know, those, those restaurants that um, cannot survive, if they can quickly go, Hmm, if I can reduce AI, I can't reopen either because of financial issues or just pure staffing, right. Um, and labor. And so if they can pivot and say, I can still, share my love for the food I I create and share it with others through a ghost kitchen experience, then I think they should go for it.
0: I I am surprised that more people haven't pivoted to it. Uh, Maybe a a lack of knowledge. It seems to be, I had the chief development officer of Capriati's on and I -hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't know this. I, I guess there's like three companies that really dominate the space of ghost kitchens and i i i guess it's it's to pivot might not be as easy as i might think but i have i've wondered if some of these restaurants and i i think some will convert uh but time will tell uh for sure
1: right right
0: pivoting over to just general retail what's the what's the angie take on where we're going you know i know it's accelerated where do you think we are in you know 2021 with uh the g- general retailing of goods
1: so you know there's been um information just trickles down um on a weekly basis and it's ever changing as we all know it's a little difficult to forecast i think there's quite a bit of um optimism you know as we You know, Americans are optimistic in general. And so I think that's a great plus. If we look to the Far East from our our colleagues um, and what we're seeing in other global markets like, you know, whether that be in um, Europe, parts of Europe, in China, uh, et cetera, there's still this continuation. So uh, of, of, you know, retail demand, but slightly adjusted. And what I mean by that is that I think you're going to continue to see, of course, strong brands like you know the the nikes and so forth still continue to be quite successful um outlets will definitely i think become back in the forefront um because people are going to be very conscientious about spend and you know everyone's kind of hunkering down and not spending um and we saw we just saw with some of the reopening in certain uh, states and cities that there was a little bit of that revenge spending i think i heard something someone mentioned 17 percent increase in retail sales so if we continue down that path great but it's all dependent right upon um you know COVID 19 and how we as people um, safeguard ourselves and others, protect, um, the, when is the vaccine going to come into play, et cetera. There's too many unknowns. So 2021 is really difficult to, to um, forecast, but we're, hit, hit, we're seeing at least positive signs as of maybe last week that based on GDP, et cetera, um, we, we, should, we should be able to kind of uh, start to catch up in, in 2021.
0: By, by end of Q1. I'm hopeful. One of the interesting things that I'm hopeful for on consumerism is the, the personal savings rate
1: mm-hmm.
0: in America hit a record high in April, 33%. And the amount of deposits in banks from the end of February to the week of June 10th had increased by $2.2 trillion. And so if people are, consumer confidence is up and people are, have steady incomes, I I, I think you're going to see, a you know, I'm gonna take the opposite approach. I think of a lot of pundits out there, I think you're gonna see a pretty good Christmas, which would be you know, positive going into 2021. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's actually obviously a big call, but we'll see. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of cash being stored, which is probably good for Americans right now. So,
1: I I would agree. Yeah. No, I actually saw your um, LinkedIn post. It was a great post.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: On savings.
0: (laughs) Yes. On personal savings. Uh, If you were to go back to... March 1, 2020.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is there one thing you might have done differently
1: um, throughout so the pandemic? About the pandemic in terms of retail? Uh,
0: just how you did, uh, how you operated your business. Mm. You told me you were being bold. You know, something you've learned through the pandemic that you wish you knew pre pandemic.
1: Mm. Well, let's see. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I always conscientious, conscientious in thinking about things. And so I would say that something that we learned, and it goes back a little to what I stated earlier, is that, you know, we don't want to lose the... Um, you know, the local businesses, the fabric of our local businesses, because that really does make up the community. It could be, you know, a good friend of yours or a neighbor that said, Hey, I really want to, um, start start my own, you know, business and they opened up a beautiful little storefront, uh, et cetera. And so I think, you know, what I've learned through this journey is how do we help and support um, our small business owners? And, you know, something that we've really looked at is uh, developing a partnership with, um, you know, companies that can help and support these small business owners to quickly shift to an online presence if they, you know, if they're forced to stay closed still, or they're slowly reopening under adjusted hours because they cannot, you know, identify staff as of yet or bring back their their prior staff. Um, so we've been helping a lot of our small business clients or owners, I should say tenants, uh, with you know working with online channels, working with groups that can help um, with curbside or help with on, on-demand delivery. So I think for me, that was my aha moment is how can we help these people? And immediately, you know, over the last two to three weeks, we we created a partnership agreement and we're out there helping our, our small business owners, um, uh, you know, shift to these other channels to sell so they can survive.
0: Yeah. The- it's interesting. We talk about that a lot. My tenants are national tenants, regional tenants, local tenants, and and obviously a lot of local tenants don't have the infrastructure and local retailers don't have the Mm -hmm. infrastructure that some of these, the targets have. At a minimum, what I think would be a huge help and a huge learning is if these small mom and pop businesses can, stay digitally engaged with their consumer Mm -hmm. whether they're selling on that platform or not you know that takes some time and infrastructure but to stay digitally engaged is just time and it's you could do it rather inexpensively and staying engaged with that consumer will pay dividends uh over the long haul and i'm hopeful that the 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 small businesses across the country and the american entrepreneur entrepreneur can stay digitally engaged with their consumer. So we'll see. I I hope that happens. I wanted, is there anything that's going on in retail or real estate that we haven't touched on that we should touch on?
1: Um, No, I mean, I can go on and on and on (laughs) (laughs) um, about various things. I I just say, you know, um, retail is, is, it's not, it's changing. It's evolving. It's accelerating for the most part. Um, it's an ex- still an exciting time. Uh, you just have to be, you know, um, uh, Mindful of how things are, are, mindful of just kind of the ebb and flow of retail right now, and not just cast it with you know a brush that's completely negative. It's just we're going through another reinvention of what retail is, and it's still a need. And um, so, yeah, I think people need to just continue the conversation and stay in, you know, stay tuned to to what's happening.
0: Sage advice. All right, Angie. We are now going to pivot to the last part of the show. It's one of my favorite parts. Are you ready?
1: Yes. Bring it on.
0: All right. Retail <laughs> wisdom. Here we go. Question one, what is your best piece of commercial real estate advice?
1: Um, stay true to um, your love and passion for, for um, commercial real estate whether in any product type or any specialty, but stay true to it. If that's really what you like and you have, you enjoy it. It's fun. You meet some amazing people through this journey then stick through it. And, you know, we're always going to have ups and downs, but you know, forge ahead, have that courage.
0: What is your true passion in commercial real estate?
1: Uh, really uh, sharing um, and connecting people, sharing information and really connecting people.
0: Awesome. Two of my favorite ways to add value. All right, question two. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead?
1: Okay, this one is um, the reason why I like it. It's, and and there's kind of an offshoot of it, but it's a sharper image. And that's because I love going into the stores and just kind of fiddling with all the different gadgets and learning about the different products. and, And I'm just, I geek out. And of course there's beta. Um, and there's also Amazon, um, uh, four stars. Although I think beta is probably more in line with what sharper image used to be.
0: Totally. Uh, great answer. Last question. So I am the proud father of a three-year-old daughter and a 21 month old son.
1: Congratulations.
0: And thank you. And, uh, we are a house filled with diapers. I am on Target's website right now. Mm-hmm. My son is the size five Pampers Cruisers. What is a box of 60 size five Pampers Cruisers retail for on Target's website today? $14.99. <laughs> yeah do you do you, do you have do you have children Angie?
1: I have no children. I uh-huh. have zero. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh-huh. So I will tell you that
1: sixty is a lot. So I, I it might be double the price. <laughs>
0: that that's what, see this is this is what you don't know. 60 is nothing. That's uh-huh. that that's a when when you have a newborn that's like a week.
1: Uh-huh. That's like a
0: week of diapers. Uh and 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 this is why Pampers is. Procter and Gamble's number one brand. I think it's like a uh, eight billion dollar brand. If it was a standalone company, it'd be a Fortune five hundred company alone. That brand and mm-hmm. those retail for twenty four ninety nine on Target's website.
1: Oh, so was, uh, once I doubled, I was closer. Well, that's <laughs> good to know. <laughs> yeah, but luckily I have. Uh, yeah, I have one. I have one uh, sibling and younger than me. and She has two older boys, so we haven't seen diapers in over gosh it's 16 years.
0: I I understand. I'm in the thick of it. So I've mentioned Pampers a lot recently because I've been calling for differentiation in retail stores. And if, and the, the, the line I use is if everyone's selling Pampers and Pepsi, it's just a race to the bottom Mm
1: -hmm. and we
0: need some differentiated products in the stores. And so uh, I, I'm a Pampers customer and I, uh and but I, I mentioned it a lot on uh a lot of the social media platforms so anyway uh thank you for playing it's been a pleasure great to have you on thanks for all the insightful information and if you ever need anything stay in touch i'd love to stay connected
1: definitely chris thank you so much for your time and appreciate this one-on-one conversation stay yeah. well you too Thank you for
0: listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you are a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.